Good morning, everybody, and welcome to part one of a brand new series. Um, if this is your first time with us um, in the room, or maybe if you're joining us for the first time online, uh, you came on a great day. Uh, beginning of the movie, very beginning of the series, uh, it's a great time to jump in. And here's, uh, here's where I want to start. Um, it's probably not... Um, necessarily allowed to say this out loud at church, but I'm the one with the microphone, so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Christianity is kind of weird. It's, it's a little bit weird because it's all about having a relationship with an invisible person. You thought about this? Like, it's hard enough to have a relationship with some of you all, and you're visible, right? Like, it's hard enough to have a relationship with people who are visible. How do you have a relationship with an invisible God? And, and that's like this is our entire mission as a church is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus who you can't see. Like, how do you do that? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, and, and, and you got a little bit of a, a taste of it this morning in, in worship, but if you were a Jew living in the Old Testament period, it would be a little bit easier to know where you stand with God, to know how to have a relationship with God. Because because Judaism was a one-size-fits-all religion. Everybody sacrificed the same way. Everybody worshipped on the same day. Everybody worshipped the same way, the same feasts, the same celebrations. I mean, it was, it was lined out in the Hebrew Bible of how to have a relationship with God. Every year, one time a year, the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice on behalf of the sin. It wouldn't forgive the sin. It would cover the sin. And then the next day, you start racking up sin again. But it was, you at least knew where you stood with God. You at least had an idea. It's like, it's complicated to us because we read all these things. We're like, are we supposed to do that still? But it wasn't complicated for them. It made it, it made it tangible. Made it, okay, this is, this is I, I know how to worship God. I know how I'm supposed to do this. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all of that. I'm the fulfillment. I am the final sacrifice for sin. I'm the Lamb of God. That I'm, I'm not just going to die to cover your sin. I'm going to die to forgive it. That was a different level than just covering sin. And, 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 and this was a huge transition. Instead of approaching God in a cookie-cutter way, we were invited into relationship with God. We were, we were invited to know him, to get to know him. But the New Testament doesn't give us a specific prescription for how to do that. Nowhere does it say, step one, do this, step two, step three, and on Monday you do this, and then on Thursday you go here. There's, it's, it's not in there. It's like all the sacrificial and ceremonial rules were thrown out the window in terms of how to relate to God. It's clear. Like I want to make this clear. It's clear that a relationship is initiated with God through Jesus Christ. He's the only way to the Father. But once you get on that path, once you get into that relationship, it's like, now what? How, how do I have a relationship with an invisible person? How do I know how I'm doing? How do I keep it relational? How does it stay personal? How do you maintain a relationship with somebody you can't see? Well, that's, that's kind of what I want to talk about. For the, next, for the next four weeks. And, and we're going to key on, um, or, or key the entire series 
on a little phrase in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device and you want to find that, feel free to find Hebrews chapter 10. Um, this, this little phrase, I think, summarizes the process and explains what it means to move into and conduct a relationship uh, with an invisible God. And while you're finding that, I kind of want to give you a little bit, um, tell you a couple things that are happening in the book of Hebrews because it's a very, very important book. Um, but again, it can be a little bit difficult to understand at times. Um, the, the, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. And no, that's not an oxymoron, okay? They, they, they were Jews, men and women, who, who brought up familiar with temple worship. They were familiar with the law. Uh, many of them had the first five books of the Hebrew Bible memorized, what we call the Old Testament, by the time they were 10, 11, 12. They, they knew their law. They knew their customs. They knew all about how to worship their gods. They're steeped in Jewish custom and religion, but these people had always also put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. They believed Jesus was their Messiah. So the author of Hebrews tries to explain the significance of Jesus' coming and how the old way is gone, the new way has come. And he does that by taking, or she, we don't know, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. They take this, this familiar concepts and language for Jews to explain who Jesus was and what he accomplished for them. And since we're not, at least I don't think there are any Jews in here today, maybe there are, but since we're not, we're not familiar with concepts. We're not familiar with language. We're not, we're not as familiar as they would be with these, some of these verses. And, and the, the verses that we're going to look at explain the invitation that not just Jews from 2,000 years ago have been invited into, but an invitation you and I have been invited into in the process of what it looks like to conduct a relationship with God. So Hebrews 10, verse 19 is where we'll start. I'll explain this as we go. We'll see what this might mean for us moving forward in this series. Here we go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence in holy place. Let's pause right there for a second. Um, I don't know where your most holy place is. Um, if you're a mom with young kids at home that are all over your ankles, anywhere where your kids aren't is the most holy place, right? Just give me a little bit of time, right? But when they heard this, they immediately thought, he's talking about the holy of holies. The Holy of Holies, it's this little room in, uh, inside the temple where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. You remember, uh, you remember the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Don't look at it, your eyeballs will pop out, right? Okay, that wasn't that far from the truth. They actually got it pretty close to the truth in that movie. Okay, but this, is, this was a place where they believed God dwelt because that's what God told them. And they also believed that the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the closer you got to God. That there was a geographical point of reference for his presence. They knew he was bigger than the Holy of Holies. They knew that that couldn't contain him. But they, but they had a point of reference for their God. They had a point of reference for their worship. But you couldn't go. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go into the presence of God. There was only one person, one time a year, that could do that. It was the high priest on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And before the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around him in case he went in and, and the, the glory of God overwhelmed him so much that it killed him. How'd you like that job? 
How'd you feel when they're wrapping the rope around you? Just in case, you know, it's like, okay, am I prayed up? Am I, am I pure enough? All of these questions that are going, but it's part of their tradition. It was part of their worship. So the author of Hebrews says to his Jewish audience, that's done. Things have changed. No, no longer do you have to have someone else seek God's favor for you, you as an individual, with all your sin, with all your past, all the stuff you haven't done right, all the stuff you haven't measured up to. It, God's law, your own law, whatever law, all the stuff that you haven't done, you don't need any of that anymore. You have been invited into the most holy place, and you don't have to tie a rope around you. That you can actually move with confidence into the very presence of God, not because of what you've done or haven't done. He actually tells us the next phrase, by the blood of Jesus. And for us, like we look back, you know, on 2,000 years of, of church history and we know what he's talking about. But for them, they're, they're contrasting that with the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons and goats. And he's saying, no, it's no longer about animal sacrifice that makes us right with God. It's through the blood of the one final ultimate lamb of God that you can move into the most holy place with confidence. It's through Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he goes on, by a new and living way, so this is something brand new, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. And again, this is a reference to the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. You couldn't go behind the curtain. You couldn't peek behind it. You didn't touch it. You didn't even want to get close to it. But the author, again, he, he's saying this new way has been opened up for us right through the curtain into the very presence of God. We don't need a veil like Moses needed a veil. We don't need a high priest to do it for us anymore. That's, that's all the old way. The old way is gone. This is a new and living way. It's an invitation into relationship with God. He says, through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so no longer do we need the human high priest, Jesus is the high priest for us now. The high priest was the person that mediated, that went between God and man. Since all of that is true, here's the phrase, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. This is so significant, okay? He, he's saying everything, everything that ever stood between God and man, everything that distanced holy God from sinful man, it's been removed through Jesus. The way that we thought we were supposed to approach God, it's all done. It's all different. It's all new. And, and with all of our junk, all of our past, all of our dysfunction, all of our sin, all of our impurity, with all that stuff, we've been invited into the presence of. We've been invited to have a relationship with the God who invites you to call him Father that you've been invited, I've been invited, they were invited into that kind of a relationship and you can conduct yourself as one who has that kind of access to God. 
And, and, and I don't know if I'm explaining this well or not, but that's powerful. That is, that is good news for us, just as it was good news for them. But that's not all. He doesn't stop. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. That word sincere means true. And it's the idea that we're to come to God, not worried about the words we say, uh, not worried about pretense, not worried about, you know, have, have I done it right for enough days to go to church this morning? Have I gotten it right yet? You know, he says, no, just come with a sincere heart. Come as you are. Come, come truly as you are. Because whatever excuse you would be tempted not to use to come to God, when Jesus died, he dealt with that. He dealt with that. You say, I'm not worthy. Jesus dealt with your worthiness. We just sang about that. Well, I haven't performed enough. Jesus dealt with that. I don't know the right words to say. It's not relevant. This, this, this is an invitation to relationship with the one who knows you best. Do you think about the words you say when you enter into relationship with the people that know you best? Are you worried about the words you say? Now, husbands, we need to be a little bit worried about some of the words we say, right? But is that, is that how you approach a relationship? Like, oh, am I going to say the right words to my wife who I've been married to for 20 years? No. Jesus dealt with that. It's an invitation to relationship, and everything that stood between us and God has been removed through the blood, the final sacrifice of Jesus. And for a Jewish person, this was so rich, and it was so new. But even for us, like, it's somewhat startling. It's somewhat confusing to, to, to think that we could go into the presence of God and have a relationship with him. Let me read that whole verse. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilt, guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. All that was reference to the sacrificial system. This is the, the kind of things they had to do, all the ritual, all the custom, all the stuff people went through so they could know where they stood in relation to God. All of that has been covered through Jesus. And in fact, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, y'all are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. So you don't no longer have to wait for a priest to make, it, make you right with God. But you actually have access to him through Jesus. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I want you to leverage that right standing with him to what? Draw near. Draw near to him in relationship. If I could, if I could summarize this passage, here's, here's how I would summarize it. Since God has done so much for you, draw near to him. Since God has done so much for you, since he made a way through Jesus, um, for that, his original audience, he would say, since you have an opportunity that generations before you haven't had. Since God has done this in history, since God has done so much for you, I want you to draw near to him. Move in his direction. Leave your fear behind. Leave your pride behind. Step out in faith. Find forgiveness. Forget your past. All those things you use as an excuse, leave them behind and move in God's direction. To which we say, okay, Tim, sounds good. How? How, how do I do that? He's invisible. What does that look like? How do I express that? How do I have a relationship? How do I move into a relationship with an invisible God? And that's what I want to talk about 
for the next few weeks. How do you draw near? If all the obstacles have been removed, if, as we sang and as Mark said so well earlier, if the way has been paved, the way has been paved. It's not about the word you say. It's not about the word you don't say. It's not about your background, church history. If everybody's invited to draw near, how do you do that? What does it look like? So one of the things I want to point you to, and um, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series and name the series that we named is because um, me and my peers are guilty of something. Um, one of the things that pastors do from time to time is they say, okay, I want you guys to draw near to God. So here's how you do it. Step one, and step two, and step three, and step four. And, and the temptation is be, because, because I am who I am, because pastors are who they are, they communicate it all through their personality. They communicate it through their gifting. They communicate it through the way that they're wired and their background, their likes, their dislikes. And people leave and they go, well, the preacher stood up there and he said, this is how you draw near to God. And he's obviously close to God because he's a preacher. So that's how I have to do it. And some people that works, but other people walk away and they go, you know, I tried that and it didn't work. (laughs) In fact, I kind of feel like a failure. So either God is wrong I'm wrong, or Tim's wrong. Tim's definitely wrong. The process is wrong. I don't know, but it didn't, it, it didn't work for me. I don't know how to draw near to God. So here's, here's one of the things that I want to, to say, I think it's one of the most significant things that we'll talk about throughout this series besides Scripture. One of the, way, the things I want you to incorporate into drawing near to God is a simple, liberating truth. Okay? Here it is. While there's only one path to God through Jesus, there are multiple expressions on that path. I know it sounds like heresy, so stick with me. There's one path to God through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. But once you have that relationship with God, once you have that relationship with Jesus, there's multiple ways that's expressed. Just as we are all created differently, Just as we all have different gifts and and passions and abilities, we all know we're different. So observation says this. I mean, it shows us. I think Scripture substantiates the fact that we all draw near to God in different ways. It's going to be expressed differently. Yeah, there are some things that we all have in common. There there are some things that we'll, we'll talk about those things throughout this series, but the expression of those things, those are going to be Different, And this is extremely, extremely important for us to understand. Because if you don't understand that how you draw near to God might be different than how I draw near to God, or how your wife draws near to God, or how your kids draw near to God, you'll be tempted to think a couple things. And I want to highlight four things real quick. I'll just, I call these four temptations, okay? If you don't understand, there are various pathways of drawing near to God. You'll be tempted to think... Your way is the way. And here's the temptations that you'll be tempted to think. Number one, you'll criticize other churches. You'll be tempted to criticize other churches. You'll think that your way or our way of drawing near is the way. And you know what, Pastor Tim? You know, that church I used to go to, they're just not doing it right. And, and, and you've met people like this. Maybe you're related to people like this. Maybe you know somebody who attends a church. They're, um, they're all about social justice. 
and they've built more houses for habitat than you can count, and they're always marching, and they're always, you know, they want to change society, and you've spent time with them, and they start talking about all the things that their church does, right? And then they look at you, and they go, so what's your church done? And you want to go, well, how many people have you baptized in the last five years? Or I bet your music's boring, you know? It's just this, it's this back and forth, and you feel judged, so you want to judge them. And if you don't understand, hey, different churches go about things different ways. Their church is wired to be socially active, and maybe your church isn't. You'll feel judged, and you'll want to judge them back. And so if you don't understand this, we'll, we'll tend to criticize. And, and I just want to start with churches, because Grace Point, Grace Point, if this is your church, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Jesus's church is messy. It is broken. It is imperfect because you're a part of it. But it's beautiful. 